If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. And, and we're going to go into our, our message this morning out of the book of Matthew chapter 13. This is, in fact, this is the, this is the section in which Jesus changes his teaching format. And he begins to teach now in parables. These stories that that he, he brings into his conversations with people that help them understand a little bit more about the kingdom of heaven, about godliness, and about what God desires in us. And he does it through a story format, a narrative that has a variety of ways in which we can read them. And so we often call it an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and that, I think, kind of conveys a lot of it. So Matthew chapter 13, and we'll begin at verse 1. So get your Bibles ready for that. Philip Yancey, he talks about a, a World War II soldier who was a part of the liberation of the Dachau uh, concentration camp in Germany in, in April of 1945, where thousands of Jews had been held and exterminated during that war. Now, he talks about this soldier's story. So it's kind of intense a little bit. I'll try to keep it as, as easy as I can. He says that a buddy of mine were assigned to a boxcar, and inside were human corpses stacked in neat rows, exactly like firewood. The Germans, he said, ever meticulous, had planned out the rows, alternating the heads and the feet, accommodating the different sizes and shapes of bodies. And our job, he says, was like moving furniture. We would pick up each body, so light, and carry it to a designated area. Some fellows, he said, couldn't do this part. They stood by barbed wire fences retching, and I couldn't believe it the first time we came across a person in the pile still alive. But it was true. Incredibly, some of the corpses weren't corpses. They were human beings. We yelled for doctors, and they went to work on these survivors right away. I spent two hours, the man says, in that boxcar, Two hours that for me included every known emotion, rage, shame, pity, revulsion, every negative emotion, I should say. They, they came in waves, all but the rage, it stayed, fueling our work. After we had taken the few survivors to a makeshift clinic, the man says, we turned our attention to the Nazis, the SS officers in charge of Dachau. Our captain asked for a volunteer to escort a group of a dozen SS officers to the interrogation center, and a guy named Chuck, his hand shot right up. Chuck claimed to have worked for Al Capone before the war, <laughs> and none of us doubted it. Well, Chuck grabbed his machine gun and prodded the group of SS prisoners down the trail. They walked ahead of him with their hands locked above their heads and their elbows sticking out on either side. A few minutes after they disappeared into the trees, we heard the rattling burp of a machine gun and three long bursts of fire. Soon Chuck came strolling out, smoke still curling from the tip of his weapon. They all tried to run away he said with kind of a, a leer. It was that day, this soldier says, 
that I felt called by God to become a pastor. First, there was the horror of the corpses in the boxcar. I could not absorb such a scene. I didn't even know that such absolute evil existed. But when I saw it, I knew beyond a doubt that I'd spend my life serving whatever opposed such evil, serving God. Then came the Chuck incident. I had a nauseating fear that the captain might call upon me to escort the next group of SS guards, and even a more dreadful fear that if he did, I might do the same thing that Chuck had done. The beast that was in those guards was also in me. The beast within Chuck. The beast was also in me. You see, that soldier, he understood that something that many people never quite get. He understood the fact that his heart was wicked and it was full of evil. And men can't quite grasp this, despite the clear teachings of Jesus that, in the Bible that tells us that we have a wickedness within us. I mean, the Bible is full of this. In Jeremiah, God tells us the absolute truth about our hearts. Notice Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And even though few men ever grasp the awful reality of their heart, God already knows about it, and He tells us in the next verse in Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, he knows everything about us. He even knows things about us that we ourselves refuse to acknowledge or to accept or to even search out. And it becomes clear that this is one of the lessons that we are able to glean from this parable that Jesus is going to share with us today. You see, Jesus... He knows your heart. He knows who you are. He knows why you are who you are. And as we go through this message this morning, hopefully the words of Christ, the Word of God, will, will speak to every one of us in this room and help us to understand our heart condition before Him a little bit better. And we'll learn what to do when we find ourselves there. I mean, there may be many things about yourself and your life that you do not know, but you need to know the condition of your heart. Where is it? So I'm going to ask that you might allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning as we answer that question, how well do we know our hearts? Let's pray to begin with. Father, we live in a world that's obvious, has some problems. Whether it be a boxcar in World War II that is obvious that there is evil within humanity. Or Father, whether it be on the streets in Kansas City in the midst of a celebration in which someone begins shooting. Father, we know that we ourselves, we struggle with being godly and by our own very nature we tend to lean towards sin 
every one of us. Father, would you open our eyes to see the truth today. Open our, our ears to hear the message that Jesus wants us to know. That, Father, that our hearts would be opened so that you can change them into something that's so much better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin with this. We're going to talk first off about the sower. That's who he introduces us to in this parable. So in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, let's say that the same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and he sat down, and the crowd stood on the beach. Here's where it begins. And as he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. A sower went out to sow. I think there are some important lessons we can learn from this sower. The first is this. There's a dedication to the task, to the work that he has to do. The first thing, the sower must be fully dedicated to his work. He, he knows that he has to get out at a certain time of year and he has to do the work, otherwise there will not be a harvest in the end. So he, he, he heads out, and he knows that I've got to do that now or there will be no harvest later on. Farmers understand that. You've only got a certain window in which you can plant. And if you let that window get by, it's too late. In the work of the kingdom of heaven, it is imperative that those who sow the gospel seed also become dedicated to the task you see, we are witnesses of what God has done not only in our lives but in those around us. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. You see, in our generation, I think there's a lack of, of good, devoted witnesses who are willing to go out and sow the seed of the gospel. There are a lot of people who have heard about Jesus. There are a lot of people who have read the Word of God. But there are fewer people who are willing to go out into the world and share that with others. I want this church to be a church that is making disciples who not only love God, but they love others. And we're willing to share God with them, each and every one of us. Notice this man sowed as he went out. That's, that's what Jesus said. All right? Psalm 126, verse 6 says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. 
we've got to go out to change our world. And we take the seed of the gospel with us to make that happen. So when was the last time that you intentionally went out to talk to somebody about your faith? Think about that. When was the last time that you intentionally went out to talk with somebody else about your faith? And that should be our daily routine. It shouldn't be something that we wait to Easter to do. It should be something that we are doing on a regular basis because we all have been called to go and to sow the second lesson we can learn is, is there's discipline in the task. The sower must discipline himself to the work of sowing. There will always be days when he doesn't want to go out. There will always be days when he wants to stay in bed, when he doesn't want to do that. He knows that without him going out, sowing will never happen, and therefore there will be no harvest. And so he has to discipline himself. I mean, we can sit in church multiple times a week while the rest of the world goes to hell. But what are we doing to introduce the rest of the world to the one who created the church? You see, there will come a day of reckoning before the Lord and accounting for our labor in His field. A third lesson is discouragement is also discovered in the task. As a sower is scattering a seed, he, he must have known according to the parable, and we'll get into this, that only about 25% of the seeds that he sows are even going to be beneficial. They're even going to create a harvest for him. Most of his efforts are, are thrown by the wayside, so to speak. And he knew that even though 75% of his seed would never bear fruit, he went out anyway and he sowed the seed. Our duty in the church is to go forth to go out into our world and to obey the Lord's commands and to spread the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, one of the last things Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was this, go therefore and make disciples. All right, you hear that? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, growing the church is God's obligation. That's His responsibility. Our responsibility is to sow the seed. That's all we've got to do. All right? I can't make a Christian, He does. He's the one who calls. He's the one who grows in them. He's the one who develops them in their faith. All I can do is share the gospel message. That's our duty. And if we do our part and we sow, He will do His part and there will be a harvest. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6-9. through 9. This is Paul talking. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. 
For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. What Paul is saying is, I plant the seed. Apollos comes along and he, he helps you understand a little bit more. and He, he tends to it and he, he, he feeds it and he waters it. But God is the one who actually does the growing aspect in the life of that individual. By the way, sowing seed of the gospel isn't just for preachers. It's for every one of us. All right? Every Christian is a sower. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said to them, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He could have referred to that as sowers of seed of the gospel as well. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. So let's look at the seed. We find that here in verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. <clears throat> like the sower, there are some lessons, I think, that we can learn from the seeds. First off, we learn about its worth. It's a valuable seed, all right? In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, which is Luke's uh, story of this same parable, he, he makes specific mention. He tells us, now, now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. So when we go forth and we bear the precious seed of the gospel, we are carrying the most important message that the world has ever heard. There is nothing greater that has ever been written, nothing greater that has ever been spoken than the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he has done for each and every one of us. It's a living powerful message. It's a message that the world needs to hear. We also learn about its its weight. The gospel has tremendous power, just as a seed can transform a, a barren field into a place that has come to life. The gospel can transform a dead and dying life into someone who is blessed and living and active. Anyone who hears the gospel message and they meet Jesus, their life is changed forever. A man by the name of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was blind, but now I see. Zacchaeus, his, his life was transformed when he got that opportunity to meet Jesus. There's others as well. There, there's, there's, the, there's the tenth man in this group of lepers who were healed when they came in contact with Jesus. And out of all those ten lepers who he healed, only one came back to say thank you. There is Saul who met Jesus on the road heading north to Damascus. And his life was revolutionary changed. There is John Wagner who met him. 
and my life is not the same. And we can go on and on of people who have been changed because of the gospel. We also learn about its work. When the gospel seed lands in good soil, it does good work. And it will change every life it touches. By the way, it doesn't matter who the individual is. It doesn't matter what they've done. If the seed of the gospel is planted in their heart, it can change them. And it can take the, the vilest of sinners and make them beautiful. But that leads us to this other aspect of this parable, the soils. So let's look at verses 4 through 8. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. See, here's where we get to the heart of Jesus' message. It's about the heart of the individual. All right? One of the soils mentioned here represents your heart. But which one? That's, that's, that's the big question. I mean, these different soils, Jesus tells us, represent the heart of man. And obviously, the seed has fallen somewhere in your life and upon your heart. But what condition was your heart when it came? There's the hard soil. We see that in verse 4. He sowed some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and they devoured it. And in verse 19, Jesus explains what he means by that statement. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The sower sowed, and some of the seed fell there in that hard-packed area in which People just walk, and it doesn't have the ability to be buried underground. It just lays there on top, and eventually the birds come, and they just carry it away. See, the picture here is of a person who hears the Word, but they refuse to allow the Word access into their heart. And isn't that the person can't receive the message? Rather, they won't receive it. They refuse to acknowledge it. They don't want it to germinate. And so it lays there exposed, and eventually it's, it's carried away. And just like the birds in the parable, Satan is more than willing to help that person harden their heart even more. And it's a serious condition. A heart that is hardened against God? <laughs> I don't know why we would want to put ourselves in that position, but people do. All right? God's advice to the hard-hearted is found in the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12. 
He says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness open on you. So if you have allowed your heart to become hard, it's time to break it up. It's time to to, to plow through that and allow seeds to be planted. It's time to get it ready for harvest season. It's time to, to prepare that soil. And, and, and he desires, that Jesus desires more than anything that you are saved. That's his reason for coming into this world. And if you would be opening your heart to him, he will give you eternal life and he will allow this to grow in you. But are you still hard-hearted this morning? Are you letting that seed of the gospel grow? David Redding, in his book, Parables He Told, makes mention that in St. Paul's Cathedral in Westminster Abbey, there is a bronze bronze tablet to the memory of Canon Samuel A. Barnett. It's told that he preached fearlessly there in East London for half a century. Now, on this tablet... Up in the top left corner, you see the, the sower. He's out sowing field. And, and what it says at the top, it says, Fear not. Let me get it in my eyes. Just Fear not to sow on account of the birds. Don't be afraid to sow knowing that somebody else may come in and snatch it away. You still share the gospel with anybody even if somebody else is not going to let it come in there. You still share it. Even you know that they're going to reject you because their heart is hardened. So we don't lose heart. There's the, there's the second soil. It's called the rocky soil. We see that in verses 5 and 6. On other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Jesus interprets that for us because the disciples didn't get it. And so he says in verse 21, 20 and 21, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, this soil is shallow because there's not much dirt on top of this rocky area. We had a place on our farm that we called the bald knob. It was bald because there was only about this much dirt. And you could literally stomp and the, the ground would kind of shake. Because just below the surface was rock. It's just a rocky place. And things just didn't grow. And they, they would grow a little bit and then they would just die. This is the soil that he's speaking about. It's a soil that, that, that things can grow on, but because there's no depth to it and the heat of the sun, it just causes it to wither. Again, David Redding says in his book, For below the skinny surface of human life is a bone of desire to keep things the way they are. Beneath the makeup paint, Hearts are paved with hands-off policies, policed against any invasion of the will of God. Wow. There are a lot of people who just don't want the Word of God to go deep in penetration. 
because they know it's going to make them change their lifestyle. And I like my sinful lifestyle. So this type of soil pictures the heart of a person who hears the gospel. They understand it. They desire the benefits of it. Yet they're shallow in their commitment to never truly believe for their salvation. It seems that they respond not out of conviction, but from some other motive. Perhaps it's, it's, it's a desire to, to belong, just to be a part of a group of people. But they're shallow in their commitment. Whatever their motive or their reason, the results are the same. When the sun rises and when persecution might come, they don't have enough depth of character to last very long. Sometimes there will be a call to sacrifice or to follow Jesus without reservation. And this type of heart, they just can't do it. They just want to believe with no strings attached. No commitment on my part. I just, I just want to believe. And they drop out. The seed never produced any fruit, and without fruit, there is no salvation. Someone once said this, you can't tell how much gas is in the tank by how loud the horn honks. <laughs> and I get it. And, and so too, you, you can't tell how deep a person's faith is until you watch them go through struggles. Just because they say they believe doesn't mean that their life has been surrendered. They're shallow in their faith. Another one says is a thorny soil. We see this in verse 7. He says there, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. So he interprets that for us in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I mean, you see, this is the soil <clears throat> that is unprepared for the seed, and it's covered with weeds. There, there's, there's ground below, and it can grow, but there's so many other things out there that they're going to take all the nutrients before it has that opportunity because it's so, so fresh and so young, and they're so strong and healthy in themselves. And the weeds overpower the plant, and they destroy it. It, it represents the type of, of heart that responds to God in a positive way, and gives every incantation that it is, that is sincere and valid. However, it isn't very long until the desires of the flesh and the cares of this world seem to push aside their faith. I mean, this is the saddest part of this parable. Soil that could produce greatness, because we see there are other things that are there, all right? But that, it's growing in a jungle. The problem's not the stones. The problem is the weeds. Sir Gawain in, in King Arthur's Lancelot, he, he had a shallow interest in the Holy Grail until he finally just decided, ah, this isn't worth it, and he just kind of gave up. But the valiant Lancelot, 
he also failed in his search, not for lack of depth, but from the squeeze play, I would say, of an unpruned vine, lust for Arthur's queen. Now, he confessed this, but in me lived a sin, so strange of such a kind that all of pure, noble, and knightly in me twined and clung round that one sin till the wholesome flower and the poisonous grew together, each as each, not to be plucked asunder. You see, this is the point of this parable. It's sharp enough for us to prick ourselves on almost, all right? It's an unbearably good contemporary biography of the average person in America, I guess I should say. We are so enthralled by the things of this world that we often neglect the truth of God's kingdom. Christ has drawn a, a devastating cartoon, Redding says, on the contemporary Christian whose fields are fertile but so riddled with competing interest that they are strangling the struggling Christian shoots. He says, weeds need, not, need to be wicked to be weeds. There are more often good plants in the wrong places. That's what America suffers from. It may not be that those things in this world are bad, but they're taking us away from the good of Christ. We have a lot of good people in America, a lot of good neighbors, right? But they don't live by faith. They allowed all the toys and trinkets and pleasures of this world to kind of choke out the gospel message. See, this is the type of person who claims Christ, but they demonstrate no change of life. I mean, and so they don't produce any fruit. And they die out. You see, there are many people all around us who have professed their faith of Christ. They have been baptized into His name, and they fit this profile. They come in, they make the profession, they hang around for a while, but after a time, you look around and they're gone. Because something else has enticed them. It becomes abundantly clear that they love the world, or their pleasure, or their money, or their freedom, whatever their excuse is, they love more than God. And in truth, they do not and cannot love God because they do not know Him. They are still kind of dead in their trespasses and sins, and the dead heart loves only dead things. But then Jesus says there's another soil. And I pray this is where we find ourselves today. There is good soil. Right. Matthew 13, 8. Other seed fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundred a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now when we look at this, it's like, what? What does he say? What's he mean? He goes to verse 23. 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The soil that has been broken up, the soil that has been plowed, the soil that has been prepared for the gospel message, and it is, is, is ready there. When the seed lands in that type of soil, it finds a very fertile place in which it is going to thrive. There are no hard spots. They've all been broken up. I can remember as a child in our garden, if there were big chunks, we were supposed to go out there and break those things up. You know, that was back-breaking work. Right? But if you're going to have a garden, you've got to get rid of those hard areas. You've got to make the ground soft. Preparing it. There are no rocks. <laughs> Again, I can remember having to pick out rocks. All right? And if there was something underneath and you could find it, you had to pull it out and dig it out and get rid of it so things could, could grow there. There are no weeds. <laughs> that was often a very, uh, yeah, go pull weeds. Because those weeds are going to take the nutrients out and the weeds are going to take the water. The weeds are going to take everything. So you've got to get out there and get rid of them. Right? And when the seed germinates in this good soil, it produces a plant that grows strong and one which in the end has an abundance of fruit. And this is the kind of soil that every farmer longs to plant their crops in. The soil, Jesus tells us, is this person whose heart is soft and yielding to the call of the Spirit of God on their lives. This is the heart that the vanities of riches and the spoils of this world have no power over. The heart responds because it wants to be right with God. It comes because it knows it's wrong, and the only way to be right is to yield itself to God and allow it to be planted. And when the gospel enters this person's heart, there's a life change, and there's an amazing difference in it. This life produces fruit in abundance. So... The question is, does your life represent this soil or the others? I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation, your walk with Christ, but I want you to examine it. Are you a person who is enabling the Word of God to grow within you so that it is going to produce fruit in your life. You know, we need to look at where we stand before God. Now, we've spoken about bearing spiritual fruit. And what does that look like? It looks like the, the aspects of the Christian's life and his actions and his deeds and his character, there is something that is different than that which is in the world. And, and we know that in Galatians, there's this wonderful description of what the fruit of the Spirit is from love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And we could probably even add to that list the things that God does in our lives that are positive and encouraging. But if you've died to yourself and you have been born again in Christ, then there is going to be evidence of these godly virtues in your life. And those things are going to be growing in you more than the attitudes of this world. I mean, this is an encouragement to the sower. Of the seeds that fell upon this good soil, 
It was in abundance, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What, now, what is a fold? This, this has the capability when he says, if it's sold 30-fold, it means 3,000% return. How would you like to invest in a bank that gave you 3,000% return? Or 6,000 or 10,000% return? Now that is an investment. That's what farmers want. I take this one seed, I plant it, and comes up from it, and then all the multiple seeds, the multiple fruit out of one seed, think about it, an apple tree can grow. And how many apples do you get off that tree? This is good soil. All right? Now catch this. He has planted the seed of the gospel in your heart. What kind of fruit are you displaying? I mean, they're... they're we had one of these pear trees in our house out in, in Versailles. I never saw pear on it. Well, it's a Bradford pear. That's probably why. I'm like, well, where's the pears? Well, they don't have pears. Why, the, why is it a pear tree if it has no pears? I mean, it's, 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 what, what's going on here? I planted a peach tree. I got peaches, and I couldn't wait to pluck them, but the deer got them before I got them. We have had the gospel seed planted in our lives and therefore we are supposed to share it joyfully with the lost and dying world. So it proves the quality of the soil of our heart. Now notice these words here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the bottom line is this. If there is no fruit in your life, is there really salvation? Yeah. If your life is not bearing good fruit for the Lord, can you really say that you are a fruit tree for God? Jesus, on his way into the temple, just before he was going to be crucified, it says to us that he was hungry, and he walked past a fig tree. Now, one of, the, one of the Gospels tells us that it really wasn't even the season for there to be fruit on the tree. But he was hungry, and he wanted fruit, and he went to that fig tree, and there were no figs on that tree. And so he cursed it, and it withered up and died. I wonder about us. I mean, have you gotten a glimpse of your own heart this morning in all of this? What kind of soil are you in? And if you've allowed your heart to become so calloused and hard that, that 
you're not going to let anything of God penetrate you, then there's a problem there. Or, or maybe you're upon that, that rocky, hard soil that, that you're just not really getting too deep into the gospel. I mean, you're there, and you're growing a little bit. But when you're going to have problems and stresses, then I uh, just throw in the towel and God really doesn't care about me. Or are you the kind of soil that the seed has been planted in you, but you've got so many other things in this world, so many other cares, so many other pleasures, so many other things that are just choking out your time with God that you just simply don't have the ability to share your faith with others? Or are you the good soil? See, if you're found to be good soil, then you ought to have the ability to rejoice in the saving work of Christ, that he actually has penetrated into your heart and he's producing within you an abundance of fruit that's changing the world around you. Here's the thing. I don't care what type of soil you may think you are to begin with. You can be worked. And you can be created as an available soil for that seed that will do great things. My question is, do you want to? Do you want to be the type of person whose heart is willing to let God work in your life to change the world around you? That's who he wants you to be. Let's pray.